At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we've turned the page to a new year, many are wondering what will come next and how to navigate it when it does. We invite you to tune into our series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today, as we explore the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. Together, we'll learn to look toward the future because what we believe about tomorrow defines the way we'll spend today. Let's discover God's answer to the question on everyone's mind. What now? So great to be here worshiping with you all again. I want you to think of the best celebration that you've ever experienced. The most fun, the most significant party that you have ever been to. I brought a picture of mine. This is a picture of me and my beautiful bride on our wedding day. And weddings are absolutely incredible, right? They, but they don't just happen, right? They don't just fall together. They take a lot, a lot of planning and preparation. What location is the ceremony going to take place at? How many people are going to be invited? Where will you have the reception? Are you going to have a DJ or a band? What kind of food is going to be served? What are the seating arrangements going to be like? What kind of cake are you going to have? I mean, the questions just go on and on. And honestly, at times, it, it seems like so much. It seems like it can be overbearing. But all the planning... All the preparation, all the money spent, the various costs, because they certainly add up. When that day comes, it is all, without doubt, absolutely worth it. Now, ancient customs differ from ours a little bit, because in the first place, it was an arranged marriage, right? So, uh, these brides didn't have so much of a choice in who they were going to marry. It wasn't about dating for years and years until you found the one, right, the love of your life. Uh, instead, this was the family looking to find a, a suitable husband for their girl to make sure that he could provide for her. And there was a, a price set called a dowry. And this dowry would have to be paid. The bridegroom would pay it in order to secure that bride for himself. And this is when they entered uh, what they called the betrothal period. Now, things are a little different today. Today, that's more like the giving of a diamond ring, and we call that an engagement period. But then, okay, so having paid the price for his bride, the betrothed bridegroom would go away. They would leave. They would go back to their home in order to prepare a proper place for their bride to come home to. And so that might mean putting an addition onto the home. I mean, hey, like bigger closets. Am I right, ladies? Come on. At any rate, the groom is gone for a period of time, and nobody in the bridal party knew when the groom was going to return to pick up the bride. It could be weeks, it could be months, it could be up to a year. But all of this was a part of the fun. It was a part of the enjoyment and the excitement of this tradition. And while the groom was away, the job of the bride and the bridal party was just to make sure they were ready. To be prepared for the groom's return. Can you imagine their excitement? Can you imagine the anticipation that they would feel, they, they wake up in the morning, they, they look out the window, the sun is rising, and they just think to themselves, today could be the day. 
Today could be the day. And as they go about their daily activity, as the day goes on, they're always smiling. They're always thinking about this possibility. They're they're filled with all kinds of joy at the thought of this, at the ever-present thought of their bridegroom returning to take them home. And I mention all this because Jesus is going to use this picture in the next parable, this imagery, in order to describe his second coming. And so if you haven't already, would you please join me in your Bibles or your Bible apps uh, to the book of Matthew, chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, if you remember, we're looking at the Olivet Discourse here where Jesus is answering two questions that the disciples have asked him. Uh, The first question was essentially, when will the destruction of the temple take place? And Jesus answers this question in the following verses up until verse 35. He says, earthquakes and famines, uh, wars are going to take place, and that all of this is going to lead up to this climactic moment when the temple is going to be destroyed. And that in that moment, as the temple is destroyed, two things are happening. Israel is being judged with the destruction of the temple here on earth, but that Jesus is being enthroned as King of kings and Lord of lords in heaven. And so these two things are taking place, and so the entire old covenant way of relating to God is gone. It is over, it is done away with, and a far better new covenant was being put in place by Jesus. And all of this, Jesus says, will take place in their generation, in the lifetime of his disciples. And then in verse 36, Jesus pivots. He begins addressing the disciples' second question that they had. What is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And so to this question, Jesus says, nobody knows. (laughs) Nobody knows the day or the hour. And then Jesus begins making these illustrations, uh, each one emphasizing a certain element of his return. He says, it's going to be like the days of Noah, drawing our attention to the utter normalcy that was going on leading up to the flood. He says people are eating, they're drinking, they're having a good time, they're going to work, they're getting married, they're starting families. It was just business as usual, just another typical day until the flood came and wiped them all away. And Jesus says that is what it's going to be like when the Son of Man returns, like a thief in the night. It will be surprising, it will be sudden, it will be swift, And therefore, he urges them, what? To stay awake, to stay spiritually alert and engaged in the work which he had gave them to do. And to this last point, to their responsibility as his disciples here on earth in his absence, Jesus tells another story, which we looked at last week. A story about the roles of servants in relation to their master. And specifically, their relation to him being stewards of his belongings in the master's absence while he is away. And he says, therefore, they are to wait for their master's return. What? As stewards who will give an account of their service, whether it is faithful or unfaithful. You see, there's a big difference between being a believer and a make-believer. And that's where Jesus is going in this next parable. That true disciples Make provisions to go the distance. So let's read this story together. 
Matthew 25, starting in verse 1, says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins, who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here comes the bridegroom. Come out and see him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now, Earlier in Matthew 13, Jesus told us many parables about what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, like in the present, he says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. It is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and it collects, gathers fish of all different kinds. But here, Jesus tells us a story, and actually all three of these stories that are meant to place us in the future, that are meant to describe for us what heaven will be like. And the first thing Jesus points out is that superficial discipleship will prove insufficient. Superficial discipleship will prove insufficient. Let's look at the first few verses again. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. So Jesus describes ten virgins here, and these are what we would call bridesmaids. Uh, They are honored guests at the wedding. And women, you know this, right? How do you react when you are invited to be a bridesmaid? You squeal with joy! (laughs) You are ecstatic at the thought of it. Don't pretend you're not. Okay, I've seen it happen. I know this. And it's okay because you, it's appropriate to react that way because it is an honor. You get to wear a special dress. You're representing your relationship to the bride. And you are not just present at this wedding. You actually get to participate in it. You're walking down the aisle, you're standing up in front of everybody, you are giving witness to this marvelous event, and you are honored, you are happy to do so. Well, that's what Jesus begins describing here, except the roles and responsibilities of bridesmaids then are just a little bit different. So if you remember, we said that the betrothed bridegroom goes away for some time, he's a going to fulfill this place for her, and he is going to come back, and he is going to surprise his bride by coming to get her at an unexpected time, oftentimes at night. And so the bridal party was to keep watch. They were to look out. They were to be waiting for the arrival of the bridegroom. And when they spotted him, they would then light their lamps, and they would go out to meet him halfway. 
Because you remember, I mean, this is before electricity, right? I mean, if he was going to be returning at night, it would have been dark. And if it's late at night, probably pitch black. And so here's the picture. As they go out to meet him, their collective light would then illuminate the bridegroom as he proceeded down to the house of the bride, where he would pick her up, and the entire wedding party would then begin making their way back together to the bridegroom's house by way of this lamp-lit processional. And when they arrived there, they would all go inside, and they would celebrate with the wedding feast. It was the high point of the celebration. To miss that event would be to miss everything. But in verse 2, Jesus says that five of these bridesmaids were wise, and five of them were foolish, because they did not bring any oil with them. They had their lamps, but they didn't bring any oil. What good is a lamp without oil? It's like having a flashlight with no batteries. It doesn't work. It doesn't do anything. And here's the thing. They liked their position, right? I mean, they were eager to be there. They, too, were looking forward to the wedding and its festivities. They were glad to participate. They were glad to have lamps to hold. But it would have all been for show. They would not have actually done any good at all because their lamp is empty, right? It, it is worthless. Dear friends, this is scary. It's so tragic. It, it describes a person who comes to church. They, they sing the songs. They, they might even read the Bible or, or give a little bit. They're going through all the motions. They know exactly what to do. They look the part, but it's all for show. Like 2 Timothy 3.5 warns us, it is possible to have the appearance of godliness, but yet deny its power. And anyone looking at them from the outside would say, sure, sure they're a Christian, but on the inside their lamp has no oil. They have nothing of spiritual affections for God, a love for the bridegroom, a longing and expectancy for Christ's glorious return. They're like a tree without fruit, which Jesus says earlier in the Gospel of Matthew is good for nothing except to be chopped up and thrown into the fire. You see, merely accepting the invitation to be a bridesmaid was not enough. They had to be prepared. They had to be ready to participate in order to come into the wedding. And in the same way, simply professing with your lips to be a Christian is not enough. And in the end, it isn't about the rituals of religion. It is about the reality of your faith that makes you prepared, that makes you ready for that day, which starts in your heart. Right? By being born again by the Spirit, by putting your faith in Christ alone for your salvation. But we must then also live that out on a day-to-day -day basis. And we know this. You've heard it time and time again. James, the half-brother of Jesus, puts it this way in James chapter 2, that without uh, a faith without works is what? Dead. The reformer, John Calvin, said it this way, you're saved by faith alone. But a truly saving faith is never alone. Your life will reflect it because when you are born again, you are changed from the inside 
out. The old you is dead. It is gone. It is buried in the baptism. And you are now raised to new life in Christ where you're given a new heart. And you are actually given the very spirit of God to live inside of you. You see, the gospel is not about behavior modification. It is about heart transformation. And a truly transformed heart will then necessarily behave differently. How does knowing this impact our lives today? That's the question of this series. What about knowing about tomorrow impacts our lives today? Church, your role, your responsibility as a part of the family of God is to let your light shine, to be a lamp unto others in the darkness of this world, announcing Christ's glorious return, And a superficial discipleship will prove insufficient to do so, especially as trials and tests come our way. And that's actually our second point, that delays test us. Delays test us. Look at at verse 5 with me again. It says, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. Okay, so here we have the delay, right? For whatever reason, the bridegroom... Is delayed. He's taking longer than expected to return. And the bridesmaids become drowsy and they fall asleep. Now, is that a bad thing? No. Right? Just like we looked at the parable last week, Jesus is not condemning sleep here. Because all ten of these bridesmaids fall asleep. It's perfectly normal to do so. It's healthy. Uh, It's necessary. Right? In order to be fully prepared for the next day. Right? In, order, in other words, sleep is actually part of their preparation, their continual, ongoing preparation to make sure that they are ready to go into the next day fully prepared. Otherwise, they'd be fatigued. They, they would be worn out. And so the sleep is not anyone's fault here. However, there is a big difference between the way these two groups go to sleep. Because the faithful bridesmaids... The faithful bridesmaids could sleep peacefully. Why? Because they know that no matter what, they are absolutely prepared. They are ready. No matter what happens, no matter when, they are absolutely prepared for the bridegroom's return. The foolish five could not say the same thing, could they? They did not have any oil for their lamp, and so they are not ready But before you get all judgy, okay, and and feel harshly towards them, think about this. What happens when something you are expecting is delayed? You're disappointed, right? You're initially disappointed, but there's always tomorrow. (laughs) So you remain optimistic, maybe tomorrow. But what happens when it is delayed further and further and further? It's easy to begin losing hope, isn't it? It's easy to say, well, I don't know if this thing is going to happen at all. If anything, it's easier to get distracted amongst other things. So, for instance, I've never been much of an online shopper, to tell you the truth. But this last Christmas, because COVID had basically shut many retailers down, I did a lot of online shopping. A lot. And, and on one hand, it was absolutely amazing, right? It was, it was just so convenient to click on it, and then, hey, it shows up at your door. How great is that? But this is a pandemic that we're talking about, 
right? Uh, so it's affecting the entire world. And so I wasn't the only one who had this bright idea. And so it wasn't long before I started getting notifications of shipping delays. My package was going to come later than expected. Now, sometimes it was a manufacturer having trouble keeping up with demand of production. Uh, sometimes it was the retailer having trouble packaging and shipping it all off. But it's okay. These things are little bumps in the road. They will work themselves out uh, in a relatively short period of time. It's not really a big deal. Oh, but sometimes, sometimes I would get a message from the post office saying, we're having trouble locating your package. And that is the last straw. <laughs> like, that is the final nail in the coffin. If you get that message, all hope is lost. <laughs> There's no coming back from it. You don't know when that package is going to arrive. You begin to doubt if it is going to arrive at all. But when it comes to the return of Christ, how we wait matters. So who knows what's going on in our story here? Maybe the foolish five are procrastinators, right? Maybe they just thought that they would have more time to buy some oil. Or maybe they're being prudent, right? Maybe they're waiting for a sale because it seems kind of expensive at the moment. And so they're just waiting for a, a, an easier entry to get the oil or Maybe they had every intention of buying the oil, but they just kept getting distracted. Every time they went out, they would see friends, they'd say hi, they'd hang out a little too long, and before they knew it, it was just too late to get the oil. The thing is, the reason is not mentioned here because it doesn't really matter. The reason is irrelevant to the story as Jesus tells it because the foolish five have failed. They have failed to be prepared. And if anything, the delay only makes their negligence even worse. Right? Because they had more time than expected. They had ample warning that the bridegroom was coming. They had ample warning in order to be absolutely prepared for his arrival. So nothing is going to excuse their failure. And listen, nothing will excuse your failure or mine to be utterly prepared for the return of Christ. Despite the delay that we are experiencing. Look, Jesus' disciples expected that he would return in their lifetime. The first century church expected that Jesus would return in their lifetime. Every generation has always expected that Christ would one day return in their lifetime, and he hasn't yet. The delay that Jesus is describing has been a stumbling block for his people since the beginning. But once again, I would like to draw your attention to the way that Second uh, Peter addresses this, saying, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. What does that mean? It means the delay is good. It is for our collective good so that more and more people will come to know the Lord as Savior. But it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. You might be tempted to procrastinate. You might be tempted to drift away from your faith. You may be tempted to give it up altogether. The delay will test us, but true disciples make provisions to go the distance. 
And then the last thing Jesus points out very clearly here in this parable is that preparation can't be borrowed. Preparation cannot be borrowed. Let's pick this up at verse 6. It says, but at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So here we are again. The long-awaited day has come. The bridegroom has come to collect his bride, and the entire bridal party wakes up, and they begin trimming their lamps together. It's a sad picture, really, because they've been waiting who knows how long, weeks, months, and the foolish five still have not obtained any oil, and yet they're, they're trimming their wicks, trimming the wicks of their lamps along with everybody else. It doesn't make sense. Why are they trimming their wick? Why are they busy trying to alter the form when they don't have the oil? They don't have the very source of the light which they were to provide. But when you think about it, when people think about the return of Christ and they know that they are not prepared, many times they do the same thing. They attempt to alter their form. They say, oh, I got to get my act together. I got I to gotta clean myself up a little bit. I, I should probably attend church more. I, I should start doing this and, and stop doing that. I got to trim the wick. I got to look the part. I got to alter the form. And it's sad because it's all they know to do. They are trying to light the flame themselves without any oil, and it just keeps flickering and fizzing out when they should be pleading with God pleading with him, God, come, I need you, I need life, I, I am empty, I have no heart for you. Until finally the moment comes when they are absolutely desperate, and in the last moment when it is too late, they look around and they say, can I borrow some of your oil? And the point of the answer given is not selfishness, that these other bridesmaids will not share their oil. It is simply the impossibility of borrowing faith, of borrowing life, of borrowing the Spirit of God from somebody else. Because these things are not transferable. The Apostle Paul related to this desire in Romans 9.3. He says this, For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. But it doesn't work like that. This is not your Costco membership. 
or your Netflix account where you can share it with a friend or a family member. It is not possible. And we know this because verse 10 says, those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and then the door was shut. And just so nobody misses the application here, Jesus changes the language in verse 11. Look with me. It says, afterward, the other virgins came also saying, bridegroom, bridegroom? No. Jesus specifically has them say, Lord, Lord, open the door. Let us in. Do you understand how alarming this actually is? That these people are coming to the door. They are knocking. Excuse me. Excuse me, there's been a mistake. I've got a lamp, you see. There were, there were 10 of us. There were 10 of us. I, I, I'm part of the group. Hey, I've got the dress. I look the part. I'm a part of the church. I, I've got a lamp. But the door is closed. The time has passed. The opportunity to participate is gone. It is over. This is all reminiscent of the great flood of Noah, which Jesus had also just referenced in the previous parable, where in a similar manner, God shut the door of the ark, which was wide open. And everyone was left on the outside, knocking, pleading, please give me another chance, because they were not ready. Verse 12, Jesus answers that, The bridegroom answers, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. I don't know who you are. You never knew me. I I never knew you. You never sought life from me. I never lived inside of you. you. You had a form of religion. I mean, you've got a lamp that you're carrying around, but you never cared for what's inside You carried your lamps. Others looked at you and assumed that you've got life, you've got faith, and in reality, there was none. All you had was an empty lamp, a shell of appearance. You see, you cannot borrow someone else's faith. You cannot get into heaven on the coattails of your parents' or your grandparents, or your pastor, or by hanging around other Christians in the church. It is about you and your personal relationship with God through Christ. It must be real, it must be true, and it must be your own. And in verse 13, we get this familiar refrain. We're used to hearing it by now. This warning that Jesus has been hammering over and over again. He says, watch therefore. For you know neither the day nor the hour. Watch. Remain vigilant and spiritually alert at all times. Because you do not know when Christ will return. You do not know when the door will be shut. And your opportunity to participate in the wedding supper of the Lamb will be gone forever. But the good news is that door is not shut. 
it has not yet been closed off. So it is not too late. You understand there is still time for you to come to the Lord today. So please, please do not leave here today until you have confessed and repented, turning away from your sin and embracing Christ as your Lord and Savior. Do not leave here today until you have felt his grace and his mercy washing over you like waves at the seashore, bringing peace and assurance that he is yours and you are his, that you know him. And that he knows you because it's only then that you will experience the freedom. That it doesn't matter when Christ returns. Because you are prepared. And you will continue by his grace to remain faithful until the day he returns or the day he calls you home. Because true disciples... True disciples make provisions to go the distance. Friends, to think that Jesus, the King, has come. He has come to be betrothed to filthy sinners like you and me. And that he gave his life on the cross as a sort of dowry. A price that was paid for his bride so that we could be forgiven. So that we could be made pure and beautiful in his sight. And that he's gone away for a time in order to prepare a place for us. But he is coming again to collect and gather his bride. To take us home to celebrate and consummate the marriage at the wedding supper of the Lamb. We relish the thought We marvel at the very idea, and it should compel us to worship him. And so let's continue doing that together this morning. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the gift of your word today. We thank you for the promise of Christ's inevitable return, the promise of glory And even though we long for that day to come, we thank you for the delay. We thank you for the delay that has then given us the opportunity to respond and to prepare to make sure that we are ready on that final day. And so that your gospel, which has come to us, can then go out through us to the nations, calling us calling more and more people to saving faith in Christ. Oh, but Father, we confess it's not always easy to live as disciples of Jesus. Oh, we get tired. Fatigue sets in. We we get distracted. So forgive us. Forgive us, we pray, for all the times when when we come to church and we sing the songs and we participate. We go through all the motions. And yet somehow we leave having never actually worshipped. May it never be so. Father, I pray that you would awaken those who have lamps but no oil. Form, but no power, religion, but no spiritual life. 
Awaken them with your spirit and grant us all the strength and faith we need, not just to be ready, Lord, but to continue to remain faithful during this period of delay so that we might live with earnestness and urgency, anticipating Christ's glorious return. It's in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit we pray these things today. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.